Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Sustainable Finance Podcast. My name is Paul Ellis, and I'm your host for these programs about developments in this fast-growing industry. Nikita Singhal is co-head of Sustainable Investment and ESG at Lazard Asset Management, a $180 billion global asset management firm. She oversees the firm's sustainable investment and ESG integration strategy, leads client engagements, and thought leadership on ESG topics. Nikita has been working in the field of sustainable investing for over 14 years at institutions such as the International Finance Corporation within the World Bank Group, the Heron Foundation, ClearBridge Investments, and she has an MBA from Harvard Business School guided by a core belief in the power of business enterprises to drive positive change in the world, Nikita and I will begin our conversation today by focusing on the following question. Is ESG built for purpose? But first, I want to say a few words about our sponsor. If you're tuning into this podcast, then you already understand the crucial role finance plays in the transition to a sustainable future. With the right individuals leading the way in top companies, sustainability becomes more than just a buzzword. That's why we're excited to have Acre as our sponsor. As a world-leading sustainability search and recruitment company, Acre enables organizations to create real change by embedding and developing purpose-driven people in their teams. Visit the Acre website to learn more about their latest opportunities or to get in touch about building your perfect team. Hello, Nikita, and welcome to the Sustainable Finance Podcast. Thanks for having me, Paul. Yeah, I'm very glad you were able to join us today. And we have an important question that we're going to focus on here. Is ESG built for a purpose? Thank you. That That is really the question of the day, isn't it? Um, it certainly is. There, <laughs> We're living through really interesting times, I'd say, with um, a lot of uh, questions about ESG um, as it exists as an industry, some calling it the industrial complex that it's been been built into over the last decade in particular in the U.S. Um, And then on the other end of the spectrum, there are real concerns about greenwashing or concerns that, you know, many companies, financial institutions are exaggerating their claims about sustainability and perhaps taking advantage um, of societal interest and thus consumer interest in this really important topic. So uh, definitely a very interesting time to be be a a professional and practitioner in this space. Um, But to answer your question, I I think um, ESG was built for purpose, uh, but there is a very healthy reckoning that it's going through. And when you think about the roots of ESG, uh, it really goes back to its uh, forefathers that I would consider socially responsible investing, and before that, faith-based investing. Um, and that dates back you know, to the 1700s that with the Methodist movement in the UK, um, you see every uh, form of religion and faith having some level of uh, guidance on how one should invest alongside those faith's values. And you see that with Christi- Christianity, you see it with Judaism, uh, you see it in Islam with the Sharia law as, as a few examples. Um, over the decades, um, there was also greater consciousness around different societal issues, not just religious-based issues. And we saw this with the Vietnam War, we saw this with the apartheid movement in South Africa, 
um, and many environmental related movements even in the 1990s. And this begun uh, the um, result of much more mainstreaming of environmental and social issues in financial markets. Uh, where we are today with ESG, I define it in its latest evolution or iteration as quite separate from all of the things I've just described. So we uh, define ESG as the ability to discover and price financially material, environmental, social governance issues, which could be risks for certain businesses or those very issues might be opportunities for other businesses. Um, it is not about taking a political or moral view. Um, in our place as fiduciaries like Lazard Asset Management and many other asset managers and those in the kind of investment value chain, um, I don't believe it's our uh, duty or our responsibility to have a or impose our personal, uh, whether moral or political viewpoints on our investing. Um, and this iteration of ESG, however, is often then conflated with socially responsible investing or faith-based investing. So when you see the, the backlash that we're currently experiencing in the U.S. and the politicization, uh, my sense is it is often uh, a viewpoint that investors should not be imposing their values on the capital that they're managing as stewards of their clients, um, of their clients' capital, but rather they should just be focused on what is financially material. Yes, uh, I completely agree with your, your summary there and the history of this movement. And at the same time, we are currently experiencing, at least in the U.S. Uh, and the EU, a divergence uh, of regulatory guidance regarding materiality and business decision relevance when ESG metrics are incorporated into the process for asset management. Now, can ESG be a positive generator of impact in the world, given this current divergence of regulatory infrastructure? Thanks, Paul. Yeah, I do think you're getting to the heart of the question, which is the difference in opinion on materiality. So in the U.S., there is a greater focus on financial materiality and how uh, these various environmental and social challenges are impacting companies' balance sheets income statements and cash flows. Um, on the other hand, on the other side of the Atlantic, the conversation is as much about the impact of companies on the environment and on society, even in the case where those issues may not directly impact the company's financial um, prospects, um, so to speak. Um, I think the way you thread the needle is really through time horizon. And when you think about investment time horizons, uh, when you simply lengthen the, the time horizon that you're looking at in terms of the financial success and an assessment of financial success for a company, uh, you inevitably have to take into consideration multiple stakeholders and their health their and their resilience. This includes your customer base and whether you're providing um, healthy, safe, affordable products um, that are aligned with a more sustainable world as increasingly consumers are look to have um, buy more sustainable products. Um, are you thinking about your employee base and the strength and resilience of uh, your uh, your the human capital in your organization? Um, thinking about things like employee turnover, investing in employee uh, growth um, and learning uh, and their own healthcare. These are important issues for the health of a long-term business, especially ones that are very human capital intensive. Um, and thinking about envir environmental externalities and essentially today as we start to see an increasing 
implied cost of carbon uh, through various regulations around the world, a company that is carbon intensive, that is ignoring uh, the, the significant transformation in our economies through the energy transition may actually be uh, really in the long term uh, doing itself a disfavor because it's not thinking about operational efficiencies or product related disruptions it might face if, if it happens to be in a carbon intensive industry. So I think the way you thread the needle continues to be through financial materiality, but with a longer time horizon, which then results in recognizing that these externalities are never really externalities. They do always come back to factor into a, a company's long-term prospects. Nikita, I think what I hear you saying is that long-term value in investment strategies is based uh, on the understanding that you're dealing with multiple cycles, market cycles, economic cycles. You, we go through these uh, on a periodic basis. Sometimes they're longer than others. I think the average market cycle runs for a few years at least on average, right? And so one of the things that we need to do in sustainable investing is to focus on those longer term investment outcomes and the improvement in performance that those can drive. Is that is that a fairly accurate restatement of, of what you've just been saying? Very much so. And to, to tie it back to the the question you were asking about impact, you know, having been a practitioner in this space for 15 years, I've often seen companies um, and financial institutions, uh, you know, that have very... Um, very strong promises in ESG and sustainability, uh, but it's it's convinced me that unless that is genuinely embedded in your understanding of the financials of a company, it's unlikely that 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 impact will exist. And so, in other words, uh, you know, I see impact and financial uh, success really working hand in hand. And companies that tend to just focus on one and not on the other inevitably face challenges when there are periods of market volatility. So you might see, for example, a number of companies scale back their ESG promises um, when you know they have to be a little bit more focused on margins and and meeting their uh, their revenue um, or organic kind of revenue growth rate numbers. So I do think that a company that is genuinely embedding sustainability into its business strategy and into its operational decisions is more likely to then stick with their sustainability program because it's part and parcel of or part of what makes it a great company in the long term. Um, and, and that's the important link, I think, between impact and long-term financial returns, where we often tend to get focused on, on one versus the other. Okay, so now how is ESG and impact and sustainability different from good old fundamental investing that looks at all the issues impacting a, a business holistically and over time? Is it similar? Is it a, uh, a new iteration of that process over time? Or, or are we actually dealing with other issues now that are increasingly more current to businesses delivering what they say they're focused on in their business models? I don't see the two as different at all, Paul. I think actually um, 
thinking about environmental social governance issues is part and parcel of good, solid, fundamental investing. And, and it should be no different than any other forms of fundamental research. Uh, now, what has changed is that as a fundamental analyst over the years, different issues become more material or less material over time. And so what your job is to understand how these trends, uh, whether geopolitical trends, technological disruptions, regulatory disruptions, changes in consumer behavior, how do they create unique opportunities for the sets of companies that you are examining, which might be sector related, it might be because of a region that the company is in, or something just you know purely idiosyncratic, uh, but it is no different than good fundamental investing because of the kinds of things you're trying to understand. They require a, a new set of knowledge and new sets of tools. I do think of it as adding additional tools to your toolkit to be a better analyst, just the way a, an analyst in a particular sector may have to become suddenly very well versed in a new technology that may be disrupting it. Similarly, an analyst that is in a inherently carbon intensive industry now needs to understand how do you think about carbon accounting? What is the difference between scope one, two and three emissions? Uh, where are the emissions of my company? Which part of it might likely to be regulated? Which part of it is under pressure to be decarbonized from investors or from my consumers and my, my day to day clients? Um, it's just about re-upping the toolkit to be able to deal with these structural changes that we're seeing in society today that we perhaps didn't grapple with 10 or 20 years ago. You know, you've brought up uh, an important uh, subject uh, by saying one word, uh, Nikita, and that is regulation. How will ESG regulation impact global financial markets from your perspective during the next three to five years? Because we have all of these various regulatory infrastructures. Uh, I would say probably the most important ones at the moment are in the EU and the UK and the US, but clearly these are going to spread all over the world. How is that going to support the current uh, focus on ESG investment? Sure. I, I do think regulation is a very powerful catalyst for pricing these issues into the market. And I, you know, often when this question is asked to me, it's asked in the context of ESG regulation for financial markets. But I think what as powerful is the ESG related regulation that's happening in industry, arguably more powerful, I would say. Uh, and, and that's what's happening in, um, in industry, in, um, at a company disclosure level, uh, when it comes to accounting standards, for example. Um, and also from a big picture regulation standpoint, that's impacting, uh, ge you know, geopolitics in the world today. So, as much as I'm focused on SFDR, which is the European Sustainable Finance Disclosure Regulation, it impacts how thousands of funds in Europe that are being marketed in Europe and financial markets are classified. Um, they call it Article 6, 8, and 9. Um, as much as I'm focused on that, we are equally focused on the corporate disclosure regulation that's coming out of Europe uh, that is going to try and systematize how companies uh, disclose on ESG issues so that the data that they disclose is more comparable and more consistent. Um, and they're also thinking about financial materiality. I'm also focused on industry-level regulation and national regulations. And so the most uh, notable there is the Inflation Reduction Act, arguably the largest piece of climate legislation coming out of the U.S. 
Um, and you may or may not have an ESG labeled fund as an asset manager, uh, but surely, uh, you know, most of the analysts, whether they're your healthcare analysts, your industrials analysts, your energy analysts, has to be unpacking the impacts of the Inflation Reduction Act because it's going to result in over $450 billion of investments across a wide range of technologies uh, that will impact all of these sectors and companies that we cover as, as fundamental analysts and as a research shop. Uh, so when I think about regulation, you know, it is far reaching. It is impacting multiple industries, including the financial services industry itself. Um, and we have to be cognizant of that. Uh, one last point I'd make on regulation is um, I am a bit wary of over-regulation in the ESG fund management space per se, because I do worry that sometimes uh, the regulation is almost getting ahead of the industry's evolution. It's going through a rapid evolution. And if we start to stitch a suit that's too tight, um, that might actually exacerbate the very problem we're trying to solve. And here I'm specifically speaking to, you know, trying to avoid greenwashing. We've created a very rules-based system in SFDR. Uh, but by virtue of that, you now have a whole ton of funds that exist that are um, that are suggesting that they are promoting ESG characteristics and can check the box, you know, in a nice quantitative fashion, but are they genuinely embedding this in their research process? And is it genuinely impacting investment outcomes? Um, that's kind of, you know, still, still up for debate. You know, we were having a conversation with another guest earlier today, where we were talking about what's going on inside corporations and the new roles that are being developed related to sustainability and all of this kind of refocusing. So it's not just the the, the business capital that that's at work, right? Or the or the climate capital. It's the human capital that's being revolutionized and reworked in the same way. And so there's a lot more to discuss here. And we will want to come back to you, Nikita, down the road to to update this conversation. But for the moment, where online can our followers of the Sustainable Finance Podcast learn more about your work at Lazard Asset Management? And how can they reach out to you with questions about the issues that we've discussed in today's episode? Uh, sure. We have a, a variety of information available on our website on lazardassetmanagement.com. Uh, it explains our approach to ESG, our philosophy and thinking, as well as the processes we uh, deploy internally. Uh, we have some really great white papers on topics such as net zero to biodiversity, um, as well as a blog that we call Demystifying Sustainability that you can subscribe to. Um, I regularly post a lot of the content about our industry as well as Lazard Asset Management on uh, my LinkedIn profile. So you can check that out. Um, and that's a great, great way to connect with me as well if you have any questions. Okay, great. And so hopefully we can embed some of those um, documents uh, or, or studies or or. Um, uh, any, any of the material that you would like for us to attach to this podcast program for our readers and for our listeners, uh, I want to thank Nikita Singal, the Managing Director and Co-Head of Sustainable Investment and ESG at Lazard Asset Management. And if you as a listener to the Sustainable Finance Podcast are ready to take your team to the next level, or if you're an experienced sustainability professional, visit the ACRE website at acre.com to get in touch.
With the right individuals leading the way in your company, sustainability can become more than just a buzzword. Let Acre enable real change by embedding and developing purpose-driven people in your teams. Thank you, Nikita, and to our followers. Join us again next week for another episode. I'm Paul Ellis, and this is the Sustainable Finance Podcast. Thank you.